on episode 523 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Lisa Moskovitz and discuss her book, The Core 3 Healthy Eating Plan. Discover the simple, sustainable way to lose weight, feel great, and enjoy food freedom. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 523. If you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, and fitness nutrition, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. When people ask me who I listen to to keep up with what it takes to get and stay fit as we age, to learn new techniques, and keep motivated, on the top of my list is Dr. Jonathan Sue, physical therapist, fitness expert, and the host of the Get Fit Guy podcast. It's part of the Quick and Dirty Tips Network, so in quick, smart episodes, Dr. Sue uses step-by-step explanations and scientific evidence to help you move through the world with ease and enjoyment. He covers practical topics like how stretching can improve cardiovascular health, exercises to help with knee pain, and how to get the most out of walking for exercise. And he'll share tips on how to avoid neck, back, and shoulder pain, ways to relieve post-exercise soreness, and what to eat before, during, and after your workout. Whether you want to begin an exercise routine and don't know where to start, or you're looking to shake things up, Dr. Sue's tips will help you reach your fitness goals and create a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Listen to new episodes of the Get Fit Guy every Tuesday. Just search for Get Fit Guy wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Raz. How are things going? Good. How are you today, Alan? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, Tammy took a weekend uh, off with a friend to go to Boquete, which is uh, another uh, town here in Panama. Um, They were having some kind of festival. So she didn't know that when they booked it, but then she was going to go. And uh, we had our deep cleaning at the gym. So it was like, for me, it was a very busy weekend running Lula's and (laughs) pushing the the team at the deep clean to get that all done. And uh, walking back and forth between the two because I think they're about they're about a third of a mile apart. Oh, okay. so you know, so you get yeah, get up in the morning and got everything going at Lula's, everything's good. Then walk over to the you know to the gym, get things going there. Walk back to Lula's, make sure everything's where it needs to be, and then back to the gym, make sure the crew's doing everything, help them a little while, then back to Lula's. So yeah, I I did all this walking a little you know, one third mile increments back and forth. Um, but we got everything done, got the gym clean good. and reopened this morning. So, uh, that's awesome. all good. And, and, and Lula's is doing well, you know, we've got uh, some guests that are having a good time and check-ins, check-outs, you know, so How things are, things that's are going wonderful. well. Good. Glad you got your mileage in too. That's awesome. <laughs> How are things up there? Good, good. You know, I mentioned a while back that one of my non-fitness resolutions for the year was to read a book, a non-health and fitness related book. And I just finished The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. Have you read that one yet? I have not. 
No, it was, it's a good book. It's, it's an easy read, but it's also a difficult read. But back in the twenties, these girls were painting using radium and watch faces for the military. And then we, at that time, didn't know that radium was as dangerous as it really is. And so these girls developed all these terrible health problems from eating radioactive material. And, uh, was, I thought you said it, this was not that this was fiction. Was this actually a historical fiction or actual it fiction? Is. Okay. It's okay. a historical, yeah, legitimate book. And in fact, it wasn't until 2011 that a monument was put in Ottawa, Illinois, where one of these radium facilities were um, to memorialize these girls. Because really what they did was Sadly, the earliest days of learning what radioactivity was, how to measure it, and what it does to the body. And so a lot of what we know today about radium and radioactive material is from the work that these girls did, sadly. But, yeah. <laughs> but it was a good book. I definitely would recommend it. Okay. Well, good, good. Yeah. Well, are you ready to have a conversation with Lisa? Sure. Our guest today is a certified dietitian who has successfully treated hundreds of thousands of clients. She is the founder and CEO of NY Nutrition Group. She graduated with honors from Syracuse University, where she earned a BS in nutrition sciences and completed a dietetic internship at New York Presbyterian Hospital, where she honed her counseling and medical nutrition therapy skills. In addition to her private practice, she lectures on various nutrition topics in corporate environments and group seminars. She has contributed to many health and lifestyle media outlets, including Inside Edition, CBS, Shape, Well and Good, Refinery29, Live Strong, and Yahoo Health. With no further ado, here's Lisa Moskovitz. Lisa, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you for having me. So the book is The Core 3 Healthy Eating Plan. Discover the simple, sustainable way to lose weight, feel great, and enjoy your food freedom. I like those last two words, food freedom, because I think so many of us, the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationship we have with our body, and the kind of the way we look at food and the way we classify food, it really sets us up to kind of almost have this um, master-servant relationship. And it's not a, it's not a good one. Uh, it's a mean master. Because uh, food doesn't care about you. It's either going to serve you or not. It's about the nutrition you get. But I just, as I, you know, because that's one of the things as I started going and, and different times that I've been eating, it's like, well, how do you avoid eating this or doing that? Or and I'm like, I don't even think of that. You know, I, when I walk in a grocery store, I don't go in the middle aisles because there's no food there. It's like, why would I walk down the diaper aisle? I don't need diapers, you know? Maybe not yet, right? We do that <laughs> well, I'm I'm 56. I'm almost 56 years old. Uh, you know, right, two, right. I'm two days away from my 56th birthday um, as this um, one comes out. So, uh, no, I there's the kids are done. In fact, my uh, my daughter just turned 29, uh, and wow. we have another daughter who's 28. Those are our babies. Our babies wow. are 28 and 29. So, no, our our days of of worrying about diapers is sort of over. Uh, at least from this perspective. Now, there might be some grandparenting situations where I'm I'm in the diaper aisle, but on That's a normal it. day, I, I I don't find myself on that aisle. I don't find myself on the crackers aisle. I don't find myself on the chips aisle. I don't find myself in the candy aisle. Um, they're just not places that I find myself. So I really appreciate the word food freedom. I think that's one of the, the key takeaways that I got from this. And you had something else. I wrote it down, but I'm going to, of course, yeah. lose it. 
because, yep. you know, that's me not being honest. Yeah. And even while you're looking for that, you know, food freedom, I just want to say too, is it's kind of used a lot, sometimes even misappropriated. And, you know, it's very important to understand when we're talking about food freedom, what we're really, really referring to. And that's just the unconditional permission to eat that you could eat without any stipulations, without any caveats, without any compensation later, and without any punishment. And a lot of times I hear, and I, I, I do honestly cringe and I try not to cringe, but people say, oh, that was so bad that I ate that. I, I need to go for a five mile run tomorrow morning to burn that off. And I, I just think that sure, exercise and exercise does burn fuel and burn calories, but by looking at, first of all, exercise that way, you're, you're looking at it as a punishment. And by thinking that you need to punish yourself for enjoying food, it just doesn't bode well. And I think that does set people up for this very dysfunctional, chaotic relationship with food and connection to it. And it's, it kind of sets the precedence for other issues down the road. So that's why I thought it was very important to touch upon that. Yeah. yeah. And what I think is, again, why I think that's important is that this is, you know, because of our, the way things have worked out with what the foods that are available and the way we think about foods and what we've been taught about foods and the calories in calories out, no, let's do this diet. Let's try that diet. We, mm-hmm. we, we have distorted looks at food and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but this is not something that's intrinsic to us now. It would have been as hunter gatherers because what'd you get today? Well, I got a rabbit. Well, what did you get? I got some blueberries. Hey, let's sit down and have dinner. Um, Sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we we've lost that talent or whatever it was that that that's how it worked and we were okay with it. And you put in the book just this little. I'm gonna pull this little quote. Wellness is a skill. Yep. So we've got to relearn these things. Totally, totally. And that's that's what I, I, I really wanted to touch upon that specifically and highlight that. And I use that when I counsel clients one-on-one too, because people just think there's a magic wand or a magic potion or give me a meal plan and I'll follow the plan or give me an exercise plan and I'll follow it and all of these things. But it's it's a skill that you have to practice. It's anybody could just go on a diet and lose weight. But to really sustain it for long term and to reap all the benefits, that's something you have to practice. It doesn't just land in your lap. It's not just, oh, I'm going to pick up this book and my life is going to be changed. I mean, that's the hope, right? And I hope this book does change people's lives. But there's a there is some some work that goes into it, but it's very rewarding. You know, anything that's worth in life, you know, achieving, we have to work towards. So right. And the first thing, and I'm glad you put this first because I, I say this over and over. It's, it's kind of a mantra when I'm working with someone is you, you have to think about how you look at yourself, your relationship with your body, your relationship with your mind, how you think about yourself, that, that voice in your head that, that tells you different things. And sometimes that voice is actually mean. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have yep. this, we, we, if we don't start with ourselves, then, then really a lot of this other stuff just wasn't really going to stick. And so I'm glad you started with your relationship with yourself. Can you talk about some signs that someone would know that they have an unhealthy relationship with their body? Sure. Sure. So, and I think that's very important. I think a lot of people don't even realize that they're, they don't have a healthy relationship with their body and with food. And so when you look at what makes a healthy relationship with your body, it means that you show signs of respect. It's almost like a relationship with another person, 
you know, what, what is the fundamentals and the foundation of any health relationship? It's trust, it's respect, it's enjoyment, and it's feeling satisfied that you're getting something in return for what you're giving. And it's just like mutually beneficial. And so it's really important that you think of you and your body as a team and you work together. And it's not this constant needing to change or fight against it or deny and deprive. And again, punish when you feel like it's not living up to either your expectations or society's expectations. Because let's face it, that's a big part of the reason people struggle with specifically body image issues is that there's that comparison to this person, this celebrity, this person on social media, this friend or neighbor or family member. And it's really hard not to compare, but the more you do that, you know, it gets to the point of, of no return, diminishing return, because you just kind of feel worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's hard to get out of that funk. So I start off with talking about healthy relationship with your body, because if you don't have a healthy relationship with your body, inevitably it's going to affect your relationship with food. And if you don't have a healthy relationship with food, that's going to affect how you eat. So you could know everything there is to know. And believe me, coming, I, I, not that I know everything there is to know at all. There's still so much so much to learn in the world of nutrition, but you can know everything there is to know. But if you don't have that ability to listen to your body, trust your body, trust food, uh, to acknowledge hunger and fullness. So many people do mindless eating and they overeat and portion issues and, and they, they don't realize that they're looking externally, but it's got to start internally or intrinsically. And, you know, we, we, we need to practice that. So when you have this unhealthy relationship with your body, you t- some signs and symptoms are maybe you avoid social situations because you're afraid of putting on a bathing suit or you don't have anything to wear. and Or maybe you do spend a ton of time trying to find ways to change it or alter it. Maybe you spend a lot of your paycheck trying to do the same. Um, maybe you it interferes with your relationships in life or with putting yourself out there with getting a new job or finding a romantic partner. Uh, if you have feel like almost that it affects your mental health, you feel down, you feel depressed. Um, so those are just a few of the things that might come up if you don't have that healthy relationship with your body. And it brings on a lot of negative thinking, a lot of negative feelings. And those feel- feelings and thoughts turn into very firm beliefs. And you don't realize a belief is just reoccurring thoughts. So you might believe that you're not good enough or you don't look good enough or you're not going to find someone that you can love you back and love you just as much as you love them because of your body. But that's stuff that you implanted. Uh, and it's not your fault, but I think it's very empowering to know that that might not be true. It's just stuff that you've told yourself and told yourself, or maybe other people have told you, which also is another whole conversation. But now all of a sudden you believe that to be the case and you haven't really given yourself a chance. So it's very important to work on that relationship with your body, especially for for really everything, especially wellness, fitness, and overall health. Yeah. The way I like to look at it is if, if this was your friend, so you're sitting next to your best friend on a park bench and you, you notice that your, your friend is, is down and, and they're like, what's going on? It's like, well, I'm not really happy with how much I weigh and I'm with my weight, my, my health and da, 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 da. What conversation would you have with your best friend? How would mm-hmm. you word it? What words would you use? And my guess is they'd be encouraging. They'd be coming from yeah. a place of love 
and 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 really there would you know yes you can you can acknowledge that they've got some work to do but it's so it's not acceptance in in the way that you would say okay we're just going to live this way it's like okay well what's your plan how can i help you what do we need to do to make this work and and so it's coming from self love it's coming from that position of help of being there and we need to do the same thing for ourselves we need to step up and say I love myself and I want this to happen. Yes. Yes. I, I love that advice. And I've, I've given that too for people that have a really tough time with negative self-talk and it's just constantly putting themselves down or putting a lot of pressure on themselves and just feeling like they never live up to that. I'll say, you know, what would you say to your friend? Sometimes I hear, well, I would just, <laughs> and I hope none of my friends are listening to this right now, but sometimes I'll just tell my friend something to make her feel better. And I, <laughs> and I don't necessarily, but you know, but I still think that's important for ourselves. Even if you don't believe it in that moment, even if you're not really feeling it, you have to still talk to yourself and practice that positive self-talk and those positive affirmations, because over time, it's not going to change overnight. But over time, they will replace the negative thoughts. And that could be the only thing in your way. Sometimes people are like, oh, I don't have you know, the motivation to go to the gym or I don't have the motivation to eat healthy and I don't have the motivation to do all these things for myself. And they don't realize the biggest obstacle is themselves and their thinking patterns. And that's why I love psychology. And I'm not a psychologist, but I believe that food can be very psychological and health and wellness can be very psychological. And that's why I really wanted to incorporate that in the book because it's not something I see all the time is diets talking about the psychology. It's okay to want to lose weight, but you really have to focus on your relationship with food and your body first. It's paramount. Yeah. And that's why I'm glad you put this in here because I do read a lot of diet books and a lot of them are just like, okay, here's what we're going to eliminate. Here's what we're going to include and this is how you're going to eat and here's the plan and you know it's 28 days and you're going to lose 12 pounds and you're going to feel great and da 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 you're kind of like well you you skip the step you know you skip the big step um of not knowing ourselves and our relationships and why we got where we got because if we don't address that first then we're going to come back around after we finish this wonderful diet and we're going to start punishing ourselves again. We're going to start doing the things that we used to do. We're going to fall back on those messages. Now, the next step then is looking at your relationship with food. And in the book, you identified uh, four distorted, distorted eater archetypes. Can you talk about those four? Because I think anyone that's ever had issues with food and with their weight is going to find one of these that just is like, oh, that hit me in the gut because I, I, that was me. That was, that was, that's me. Uh, and I think that's important for self-awareness. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, ha- and I'm, and part of the reason I did that was because I wanted to feel, I wanted to resonate and I wanted it to feel relatable. And it's also not uncommon to identify with more than one. And that's not an accident. There is a reason for that. So what I ended up doing after writing this chapter and really thinking about the things that I see in my practice is I was able to come up with a lot of the most common traits I see when people have these distorted or dysfunctional or even disordered views of food. And it ended up just falling into these four groups, these archetypes, like you said. So we have the erratic eater, the dependent eater, the judgmental eater, and the obsessive eater. The erratic eater might have a very hectic 
lifestyle. They might even thrive under stress, having a very busy schedule. Food could often be an afterthought. There is probably very little structure in the day. And for that reason, some of the pitfalls could be overeating later in the day or not eating enough, not eating enough food groups, um, not eating mindfully. And so that was a very important part of this because I want people to say, oh, this is me. These are my issues. And this is how I can resolve or remedy them. And all four of these two, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but all four of these also, they're not all negative. You know, it's okay that you don't, you're not someone that eats all day long and you don't constantly have food on you. And, you know, you're not maybe like, you know, thinking about food until, until your body asks for it, you know, that's actually can be beneficial because maybe in that sense, you don't just eat for any reason. You know, you're not someone that's like the more of a dependent eater. And that's the next archetype. And the dependent eater is somebody who's almost the exact polar opposite. They, food is a focal point. There might be thinking about dinner before lunch even comes of plans and traveling plans and holiday plans and any social events might all revolve around food. There might be more emotional eating. There might be more eating for, for not just emotions and comfort, but stress, um, to sort of enhance any type of experience. Like you go to the movies, you might not be hungry, but a big bowl of popcorn would make the movie more enjoyable. So you get the popcorn. So again, like the eradicator, yes, there's clear pitfalls, but also that's not a bad thing either to enjoy food. It's just the amount that you're doing it. And if you don't have anything else to look forward to, you don't have any other coping mechanisms to deal with emotions and stress, that's when it becomes problematic. That's when people can feel like they are overeating. And weight gain, of course, is one side effect of that, but other issues too, digestion issues and high cholesterol, high blood sugars. So all of those can also follow suit. And then we have the judgmental eater. This is the type of eater that I find is most, has the most experience on diets. They kind of go from like, I call them like a cereal dieter. They just go from one diet to the next, always looking for the next best thing. And that's not anyone's fault. They're just looking for something that they can feel is working for them, that gives them some kind of hope that makes them feel productive again, like they're doing something about their weight. But what happens is they end up picking up on some of these, what I like to call food rules, where this is good, this is bad. You can't eat this at this time. You can't eat fruit with anything else. It's got to be by itself. No eating after 6 p.m. Uh, and I included that in the book too. I kind of break down those food rules, the most common ones I hear, why they are quite kind of, I don't want to say like fully irrational, but some of them are kind of irrational and they come from places that make sense, but they just get just blown up and they snowball into these actual fears that people develop too around food. And then everything else unravels after that. So the judgmental eater, they might even do some food policing, not just of themselves, like, oh, don't eat that or don't eat that. Or if you eat that, there's consequences. They might even do it, project those, those judgments onto others as well. So those are some pitfalls of the judgmental eater. And like I said, there's also a, not, they're not all bad that comes out of them with a judgmental eater, you might be somebody that knows a little bit more. You might know all the ins and outs of healthy eating and balanced eating and what foods are going to be more health promoting and what aren't going to be as health promoting. So that can work in your favor. You just have to know how to use that, what to do with it and have more of a flexible approach with food as well. 
And then the fourth and final type is the obsessive eater. And this is someone who just spends an exorbitant amount of time looking at food labels, researching diets, looking, you know, uh, feeling afraid. This is when the food fears come out. The obsessive eater really is meant to be the the type of eater that's most at risk for developing a full-blown eating disorder. And I'm not, I don't do, and I add a big disclaimer and I wanted to make that very clear. This is not a book for anyone with an eating disorder. This is not to diagnose anybody with an eating disorder, but eating disorders are very prevalent and continue to be. And a lot of people that have them tend to go for diet books. They're, I don't want to like use this word term specifically, but it's kind of like the low-hanging fruit a little bit with diet books is the ones who have the most issues with food might be the ones reading. And that's why I thought it was so important that I make that very clear that this is this might need a higher level of care intervention um, because it's c- kind of, you know, running that thin line between what's distorted and what's actually distorted and what's actually an eating disorder. So those are the four main types. And then in that chapter, I I do specifically focus on those strategies like mindful eating, um, which let's face it, nobody's going to eat mindfully all the time. It's just not happening. We all, we, we can't, you know, unless you have absolutely nothing in your day other than to sit with your food and pay attention to it and check in with yourself, it's not going to happen, but we eat mind mindlessly when we're not paying attention, when we're distracted. And we also eat mindlessly for a distraction. Some people will eat so that they can distract themselves from something else. And so those are the two different ways that that mindful eating can exist. And it's really important to address that, at least to be a less mindless eater, not a fully 100% of the time mindful eater, but a less mindless eater. Yeah. And, and I think you'll find when you are focused more on your food, it tastes better. You know when you're full and you stop. Uh, you know, so it, it, it solves a lot of problems, uh, that we would otherwise have, uh, of picking something up and, and eating all of it, uh, versus, uh, going through. Yeah. Like I said, I saw a few things on myself. I used to like, uh, Girl Scout cookies, you know, the Thin Mints and I'd say, okay, well, what's the serving of Thin Mints? You look on the box and I think it's like three cookies or something like that. So I'd take the two or three cookies, whatever it was, put the package in the freezer, go sit down eat the three cookies, get up, walk back to the freezer, get another three cookies and put the package in the refrigerator. And then by the third trip, I'm just standing in the freezer, you know, right with the freezer open, eating the rest of the pack of cookies. Um, so, you know, I was judgmental. <laughs> I'm sure so many people relate to that story too. <laughs> you know, it's my really approach. You know, but I I set a rule for myself and then I immediately said, okay, well, I'll, I'll have another serving. And then at that point I was like, well, screw it, Alan, you know, you you just, you know, you you want the rest of the cookies, eat the rest. There's a book um, called, um, and I, I hope I'm saying it right, but it's, if you're going to eat standing up in front of the fridge, you might as well pull up a seat, something to that effect. And it's, it's just funny because like, I think everybody is at some point finds themselves doing that, eating over the counter, eating in front of the refrigerator or eating a small serving or what they hoped would be enough. And it's just not, and there's other reasons behind that, but you know, sometimes it's okay to just, I ate a little bit more, but that's okay. Maybe I needed it. Maybe I need to get it out of my system. Maybe I'm done with the Girl Scout kit cookies for now and I can put that to bed. Yeah, so, there's no, the box is gone. So yeah, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> one way or another, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. And they only do that once a year. So, you know, at that point. But <laughs> okay. okay. Now, now you have the plan, the core three healthy eating plan. Can you just give us an overview of how the plan works and why why Absolutely. you think it's it's 
I mean, cause I saw a lot of great things in there. I'm like, that's yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, so I understand the structure of it, but can you go through it and then explain the structure and, and how it works? We talked a lot about the psychology, but I really wanted to, to hone in on the physiological parts of it. Can't talk. Sorry about that. Um, and the science behind it, because it is very much a science-based approach. Uh, and again, one of one of the things, one of the issues I've noticed over the years, counseling clients who try different plans, is it's just not personalized. And that's very important when you're finding a plan. There are no two people exactly the same, and we all are going to have at least slightly different nutritional needs. So I really wanted to respect that bio-individuality. So the premise of the plan, and one of the reasons that three is in the title is because I touch upon three major macronutrients. Literally anything on your plate that you are eating is going to fall under a carbohydrate, a protein, and a fat. And they're essential because our body needs them for different types of functions. So I go into the importance of carbohydrates and specifically higher fiber or fiber-rich carbohydrates. I explain why fiber is very important in your diet, why it's very um, beneficial to focus on slower digesting food in general. And I really circle in the... I, what I think really helps people with health in general and even weight loss and even gut health and immune system is blood sugar stability. So I try to loop that in and make it very clear that the plan's premise is to eat to stabilize blood sugar. And as a result, you can feel not only more energetic, better mood, um, but also notice that your potentially losing weight if you have weight to lose, which is a whole other conversation. Uh, but that's so, so then I go into protein and again, why protein is important. I find people fall into two major categories, either they don't eat enough protein or they eat way too much protein. And so I thought it was important to touch upon that. It is a little bit more of a higher protein diet. Uh, and then I go into fats and the types of fats to pay attention to, specifically the anti-inflammatory fats and the fats that are not bad and not to avoid, but the ones that can potentially be more pro-inflammatory. And the other part that I really wanted to emphasize and really make clear is that there is no food off limits, that the healthiest diet is an all-inclusive diet. Carbs specifically are the most demonized. There is a war against carbs. I see that in most diets, they're cut them out one way or another. You know, they're cutting out carbs, whether they're telling you you can't eat grains or you can't eat so much fruit or, you know, just cut, eat more meat and fat. And, you know, the keto diet is 5%, I believe, calories and carbohydrates. That's very, very low carbohydrate. So this is more of a, this is a lower carb, but it's not very low. And then what happens is you are given very a very clear formula that you can use to personalize it, to find out how many carbs uh, can I eat for my specific goals? How much protein should I be focusing on and fats? But again, even though there is a a plan in there and you're given amounts and there's even tons and tons of food charts where it will list out the types of carbs, proteins, and fats, what I consider to be one serving and how many servings to have in a day, I do want to emphasize the importance of flexibility. And some days you might feel a little hungrier and some days you might be okay to eat a little less. And that's also part of listening to your body. So you are given a clear idea of how much 
to aim for every day. Uh, but it's it's also very flexible. And then, of course, it is a higher fiber diet, like I mentioned. Um, and I do talk about also about the importance of some plant-based eating, not only for ourselves, but for the environment, because I do think that's becoming increasingly important right now is our the welfare of our planet. Right. Now, you also included a requirement in there. Not a, I guess I should call a requirement, a recommendation. Absolutely have to do this. If you don't, the plan's going to fail. Uh, but tr- to at least try to get three hours of exercise per week. Um, yes. And you had a you had an you had an acronym in there to help someone who is exercise challenged from yes. a motivation perspective, and it and I love acronyms, so that's why I had to include it in this episode. And the acronym yes. is MOVE uh, appropriately. Can you tell yes. us what the acronym MOVE means and why each of those is important? Absolutely, yes. There's a whole chapter on exercise. And I'm not that person that's some, some people are anti-exercise, believe it or not. And exercise makes you hungrier. It's not going to help you with weight loss. I believe exercise is very beneficial for a lot of reasons. Weight loss can be a bonus because we're not exercising just for weight loss. It's definitely not a punishment. In fact, the chapter is it's that should be a reward and a celebration, not a punishment. So it's very important to understand that. And I think indirectly it can help with weight management because if you're someone who is stress eating, it can help you with that. It can help you manage that stress level better. If you're someone that's not sleeping, well, guess what? It can improve your sleep and that can be helping with what you put in your body during the day. So there's a lot of indirect benefits. So I thought it was very important to touch upon that and strength training. I'm all about, I think combination of cardio strength training and more mindful movement is really important, especially for body image. Uh, So looping back in that first part of the book. So move is supposed to be an easy way to, like you said, get people motivated to kind of make it more simple and more approachable. So the M stands for making it more sociable. So it's important to have we often want to do things in life and everything is more fun when we do it with people and not to mention being with people and having more plans with people that don't revolve around drinking and not that eating out is bad, but eating out in a restaurant, it's nice to have other things you can do together. So why not kill two birds with one stone and make it something that's more fun for you by recruiting some friends and family and people that you enjoy. Um, the second part is to have obtained the accountability to have somebody there. We often, do things the most successfully when we stay honest with ourselves, when we have somebody looking back at us and saying, you know, have you been doing this? Where are you at with these goals? I know you really wanted to work on this. So let me remind you of that. And that can come in the form of a, of a, of a personal trainer and, and a person, but not everybody has access to personal trainers for different reasons. So it could be even be like a journal or an app or just even a friend or family member who's also wanting to feel healthier and get in shape and, and, and improve their fitness levels. So those are the first two very important parts. And then the third part is to make sure that you find something that you love. So it's really important that you aren't just doing the treadmill because you think that's how you're supposed to lose weight. People become, you know, overwhelmed. They don't want to go to the gym because they don't like the cardio machines. They don't like the weight training. Um, they don't even like being in a gym period because there's a lot of pressure maybe there. So walking is an example where if you enjoy walking and you're out in nature and you can listen to a podcast and you can listen to good music on your, on your phone, 
you want to make sure it's something you like doing. If you do not like doing it, you probably won't keep up with it. So it has to be, it doesn't have to be one specific thing. There are plenty of ways to move your body and to actually enjoy it. And then you want to ease into it. So I hear a lot from people, you know, who come to me as clients one-on-one and say, you know, I, I just started this new workout routine and I'm going to the gym seven days a week, really seven days a week, every single day, not even one day in between. And my response is always, that's great. I'm so happy you're doing that, but how sustainable is that? And I'm afraid I just, I'm, I want to encourage you to keep going because you're clearly in that mindset, which is amazing, but I don't want you to burn yourself out. And that burnout is such a thing with everything we do in life, especially with taking care of ourselves and fitness. So ease into it, create some small goals. That's another reason why I said those three hours, because I, I think it's fair. I think it's achievable. I think it's me, you know, it's something that, um, most people aren't overwhelmed with like 30 minutes, five days a week, or even a little less than one hour, three days, you know, one hour, three days a week. So I just feel that when you make it very small and achievable, then we're more likely to want to do stuff. And that's again, bringing back in that like psychology, behavioral science. And so it's, it's important that you sort of ease into it slowly. Don't jump in with both feet because that might, you might find that after a short period of time, you're like, this is too much. I have other stuff in my life that I need to do in this gym, uh, you know, routine, this exercise routine is, is not going to fit into my lifestyle. And that's a shame. Yeah. And the other thing about that three hours, when, when we talked about it, yeah. I think what's important to know is that it doesn't have to be an hour long three times a week or 45 minutes, four times a week. It could be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to park further away from the office and I'm going to walk up and that's a five minute walk. You've, okay. You've logged five minutes. You're going to walk yes. back to your car. That's another five minutes. Um, you know, you, you do some of that at the grocery store, you say, okay, I'm going to walk over here. And then you stop at the park and you do have a nice little 15 minute walk during your lunch hour. Uh, all those little bits, they add up. It doesn't have to be this, this grueling one hour that you're just dedicating and losing your life, feeling like you're losing your life or not being a good parent or spouse. You're, you're just investing three hours per week. However, it needs to be spread out, uh, taking a voice call, you know, you're going to be on a, a conference call just taking a walk while you're on a conference call. You might be able to get your whole 45 minutes in just during that conference call if you don't have to participate. So there's lots of ways to make this happen. Uh, I love to make it social. Uh, I love the account of obtain accountability because uh, that's really how we make things stick because sometimes we won't do it for ourselves. But if someone else is counting on us to be there at the park after work, then we're, we're at the park after work most of the time. Uh, and they kind of, the two, those kind of join each other a little bit because it's, you know, if, you're, yeah. if you have a social buddy that you're meeting to go to the park and walk, Absolutely. you got the social aspects of it and you got someone counting on you to be there. Uh, and I agree with varying it up and finding the things that you love um, because that's really, you know, to me, fitness is about being fit for task. Yes. So if you want to be a hiker and you love going out in nature and doing hikes, well, then going out and doing hikes is, is maybe the workout you need. Uh, if you can't do the hikes, at least do some walks around your neighborhood because you know you're you're making your hikes that much more enjoyable because you've got the fitness level to do it. Exactly. Right. And I think the other part of it too that I really wanted to emphasize because I see this of being a big deterrent is that people who, and I don't know if you find this too with the people you work with, but people that do get in, engage in exercise, the motivation, the number, the the I would say the 
predominant driving force is, is I see like weight loss, calorie burning. And I think that's the biggest reason why people do not have a healthy relationship with exercise, which, you know, I talk about healthy relationship with food, healthy relationship with your body. And so I thought it was very important to touch upon this because it really does affect everything. Um, and I, I see that being the biggest issue. And if all your focus is focused on is the calorie burning, then sure, five minutes isn't going to feel like a lot. It's not going to feel like it makes a dent. 20 minutes even isn't going to feel like it makes a dent. Or even worse, you give up because you're not noticing the results enough with the way you look and not paying attention en- enough to the real benefit, which is even five minutes can boost your mood, can increase those feel-good neurotransmitters that can make your afternoon so much easier at work. It can actually, and this is all science-based, and I do include some studies in here of why I recommend those three hours. It could also increase creativity. So if you're really stuck on a project and you know you can't get past or you can't type out that email or you can't figure out what to say or something that you're trying to create, going for a little walk around the block can really boost that. It gives you a break, but can really boost that. And then guess what? Not only are you doing better and performing better, but you're logging those hours of exercise too, which is going to help in so many other areas. So just know that every little bit, we're not just saying that to trick you into exercising more. It really does make a big difference. Just that little bit of movement can make you feel so much better. And again, for me, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk about it was because I think it drastically improves the way you feel about yourself and your body image and your, you know, feeling your confidence to make other changes in your life. So. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. So, Lisa, <laughs> yes, Lisa, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? I love that question. Um, and I think most people would expect me to start talking about like certain foods to eat, but you know, I do touch upon that a lot of that in the book. And I think it's very important to focus on what you're eating and how you're eating and, you know, the why behind your eating, which is something we didn't talk about today, but I fully think the intentions are the most important thing. Why are you eating those foods? But I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction, um, with my, my first big tip, which is to, stop trying to make everyone happy. You know, I just don't, you're never going to feel your best if you're trying to make everyone else feel their best. And I think it's important to consider respect everybody else's feelings. Obviously we all want to be decent humans to each other and respect each other, but you also have to put yourself first. Um, if you try to make everybody else happy, you're never going to be happy. And that's going to affect other areas of life. Like if you're not making that time to get movement in, you're not making that time to grocery shop and prepare meals and focus on foods and eat mindfully because you're doing so many things to make everyone else happy, that's going to take its toll. So I really think that's super important, especially myself as a mother with a business and kids. Um, once I go down that path, it's really, really hard. Nobody wins because you're, you're never going to make everybody happy, unfortunately. So that's my number one. My number two is to practice self-awareness. I think it's so important to be aware of what you're doing. If you have a specific goal, if you want to feel your best, you want to be your healthiest, you want to improve your cholesterol levels, your blood sugar levels, or you know lose weight, you have to be aware of your habits and behaviors. What, you're, what are you doing every day that's getting you there? And what are you doing every day that's not getting you there? And just kind of, even if you have to journal it for a day, just to write it all down. Um, So that awareness is incredibly important, especially that emotional awareness. Check in with yourself. How are you physically feeling today? Uh, Because whatever you do from an eating and exercising standpoint, if it's not addressing some other needs, it's not going to, you're still going to feel like something's missing there. 
And then my third one is that self-compassion. Nobody is perfect. We're not going to do everything that we always want to do. Some days are going to be easier than others. You might have a week where you felt like this was a great week. I got in my exercise. I feel as though I was listening to my body. I was able to do some food journaling. It was just a good week. And then some weeks are going to be a mess. And as we head into, well, I know the time this comes out, it's not going to be the holidays, but um, you know, when holidays come up, when vacations come up, when family events that are not planned come up, it's going to make things harder. And if you beat yourself up, if you make yourself feel bad for feeling bad, because that's what we do so well as humans is we make ourselves feel bad for feeling bad, you're just going to, again, spiral. And it's going to be hard to get out of that funk and start making those positive changes you want to make. So I'm all about the compassion. And I'm going to cheat and add one more thing in there, which is just to have that (laughs) cheating on, um, just to have that gratitude, you know, in your life. I think that it's hard to feel positive all the time. And I think too much positivity can quite honestly feel toxic sometimes, but having that gratitude, counting your blessings, being grateful for the little things in life can instantly boost the way you feel about yourself, your mental health and your physical health as a result. Great. Lisa, if someone wanted to learn more about you or the book, The Core 3 Healthy Eating Plan, where would you like for me to send them? Thank you so much. Yeah. So you can, it's being sold um, at most major retailers online. So you have Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you can go right to the Simon and Schuster website. Uh, And then you can find me at my group practice. I'm in New York City, New York Nutrition Group, or you can follow me on social at Lisa M Nutrition. Great. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 523, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Lisa, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. So much fun being here. Thank you, Alan. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. What a really neat book and a fun uh, discussion you guys had. I'd like to start off with uh, Food Freedom. And, and what a nice uh, concept that would be to give yourself permission to eat. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the whole point, most, almost every diet, almost every single diet is some form of punishment, if you will. You mm-hmm. can't have this food. So it's like, what food can I have and what foods can I not have? Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of them will say, okay, well, you can eat everything you want, but you still have to log and do that. But that's still hard because you're like, sure. okay, well... I have to keep up with all of this versus just mm-hmm. saying, I want some simple rules, but you know, most of them are going to tell you maybe even an entire food group or several different types of food groups you have to avoid and, and, mm-hmm. and not do. And when you're not in total control of your schedule or where you live or where you are, that can be very, very hard. You know, um, I mean, I'm in Panama. We have access to all the tropical fruits, all of them. You know, <laughs> I can buy fresh pineapple, uh, papaya, mango, banana, all of that is just readily available every single day here. Um, so if I was keto all the time, it'd be like walking by the fruit stands every day. Cause there's four or five of them between even here in the gym. Uh, they're all over the place. So if I can't have fruit occasionally, then you, you know, then there's a struggle. And so the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is what, well, one, we got to get past the first pit, which we'll talk about in a minute, but Mm-hmm. what is food mm-hmm. for me? Right. And once you define food for yourself, and so for me and what I define food predominantly is 
it was alive. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, was, it was running around mm-hmm. or it's a product from something that was running around or it was growing in the ground. But at mm-hmm. some point or another, it resembles something we know was alive. Mm-hmm. So that means I don't eat pancakes and syrup. I don't eat um, triscuits and stuff like that. For the most part, I try to avoid things that are in a bag, box, jar, or can, mm-hmm. because most of them, you can't trace back to it being alive. I mean, I can know that flour came from wheat, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like wheat. No, it, It's just a powder. And so from that perspective, I know it's ultra-processed. I know it's just going to turn to sugar when it gets in. Uh, things that are made out of wheat are delicious. Don't get me wrong. But you, you have to find your line. You have to find those things that, that are going to work for you. And when you do, then anything that's within that realm is food. And sure. there's a tremendous amount of freedom when you're not having to make decisions every single time. You run into the grocery store. And you walk in and the very first thing you see is the produce section, but you're like, okay, that's going to require cutting and cooking and da, 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 da. And I don't really want to mess with that. Yeah. There's some pre-washed salads and I, then, wow, they even put the dressing right there with it. (laughs) Uh, I could run back and grab some chicken, grill that up real quick and have a really great dinner. Or I walk right through that produce section right over to the aisle that sells the hamburger helper. I look on the box. It says, okay, for this to feed six people, I need to uh, have two pounds of hamburger. They run back there. They grab two pounds of hamburger. They got their hamburger helper. They walk, start to walk out. They get to the counter. Oh, they're selling my favorite candy bar. They grab a candy bar. They, mm-hmm. Then they check out. They're home. Yes, 30 minutes. They've got a, a, a cooked meal, you know, the chili mac for dinner. And, and the two of them eat six portions between them. And for a lot of people, that's there all the time, you know, so they're following one of the distorted eating principles that uh, Lisa talked about in there is that they're erratic. They don't really have a plan. They don't really, they haven't really defined food and not defining food then means you have no freedom. Mm -hmm. You eat what is available. You eat what is convenient. You eat quickly. You, you, instead of going into the grocery store, you just stop at Mm -hmm. McDonald's. You're on the yeah. phone, you're texting your, your significant other. Okay. I'm at McDonald's. What do you want? You know, and you're, quick. you're, it's quick. It's easy. Yeah. And you're already eating their fries before you get home. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, that doesn't do anything for you eating that type of food and, you know, choosing healthier options, um, takes time. It takes planning. And, and like you said, you got to eat what's around you. But also you need to find out what works for you. You know, what makes you feel good? Yeah. So once, once we get there and we know, okay, these are the foods that serve me. These are the foods I enjoy. Um, occasionally, yeah, you can go ahead and order your dessert and, and you're fine with that because you've done the groundwork to have a good relationship with food. You've done the groundwork to have a good relationship with yourself and your body. And when you do that groundwork, now it's like, okay, if I occasionally want to have some cake, I can have my cake, but I know what my general rules are. And once you kind of have that mapped out and then you start putting plans in place, strategies and tactics and say, okay, my cupboard is full of this. Mm-hmm. You know, if I get really, really hungry and I, and I want something, well, uh, here, Brazil nuts, you know, mm. <laughs> right here on my desk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you have a freedom of saying I eat when I'm, I need to. And when I'm hungry, I eat the foods that I want to eat. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not a victim of food. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing she mentioned too, that wellness is a skill and that it takes practice. And I really wanted to mention that because it does take time to figure all this stuff out. It's not like you can go and buy a book and here's the diet that I'm going to follow because I know this is going to work for me. It's not like you can choose an exercise regimen. I know this is going to make me lose weight and be a healthier person. It just, it takes time. We need to learn these things and implement them and try them. And there's going to be some wins and there's going to be some failures, but it's something that is a skill and it does take practice. It does, you know, pretty much Every diet works until it doesn't. Right. <laughs> Almost every exercise program is going to help you get better until it doesn't. And so there's this basic bell curve, you know. And so whenever you get a book and they're like, okay, I want you to follow the Mediterranean diet, here's how you do it, and here's your movement principles. And you follow that book to the letter. For 80% of us, the vast majority of us, it's going to work for a period of time. There's a bell curve. There's outliers that, you know, basically aren't going to respond. Uh, but most of us are going to be able to do it. And, or, we, you know, sometimes we have issues. We'll, if something comes up, you know, now I'm staying over at my mother's taking care of her. And so mm-hmm. I don't have access to what I had before. And, you know, she doesn't like the food I cook and I have to cook for her. Um, mm-hmm. So now it's like, well, do I eat, cook two meals or how do I put this together? That's that figure out this thing. I said, okay, nice. you know, uh, my mother's not going to eat this and she's not going to eat that but she wants this and she wants that. So what do we do? I'm like, I make a modular meal. You know, I do some batch cooking on Sunday. So I have my proteins and my vegetables ready. And then she's going to want a starch and she's going to want a dessert. Then I have those available to her as soon as we finish. But I'm like, you're going to eat a protein and you're going to eat some vegetables and you're going to have a starch. And that's, that's what we're going to have. No, I'm not going to deep fry and no, I'm not going to buy the TV dinners and stuff like that. Uh, you know, occasionally, yeah, if you want a TV dinner, I'm in shopping on a Saturday and I go in and you say, Hey, can you get me one of those hungry mans? I'm like, sure, here you go. You can have hungry man first Sunday afternoon. I'm going to be eating some of the batch cooked food that I made and, and we're good. You know, I yeah. pop it in a microwave four minutes later, she's got her molten lava cherry bomb cake thingy. You know, it's fine, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, but just, just recognize that. Yeah. There's a skill involved in mm-hmm. the putting together uh, strategies and tactics mm-hmm. because a lot of people will start with the strategies and tactics. So like, Oh, well, I'm going to go on a Mediterranean diet and I'm going to start walking every morning for 45 minutes, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that works until, well, it's snowing on Saturday and, you know, like <laughs> yeah. sleeting and probably pretty dangerous for me to be out. Um, are you still going to go? Mm-hmm. And if you miss one day, is that your excuse? Is that the the crack in your ice that says, oh, well, there's still some snow on the ground, so I'm not going to do it on Sunday either. And now on Monday, you're, you're off. You're off. You're not doing it. So there's a skill to it, and it's setting up reasonable expectations for yourself based on that. And the other side, of you know, we talk about food freedom or exercise freedom or all that. It's just recognizing that nothing ever goes exactly to plan. You know, right. as Tyson had said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And so it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just kind of having that expectation that things mm-hmm. might not go the way you want them to. And you have to forgive yourself mm-hmm. for these interruptions, for these, these detours, for these things happening and do what's reasonable mm-hmm. through self-compassion and self-love 
to get yourself back on the path the most reasonable and expedient way possible. Yeah. Yep. She also mentioned that knowing what your relationship is with yourself and with food is like we've talked about in the past, having a mindset is really the starting point. And that she even mentioned you need to respect yourself and love yourself and enjoy yourself to be successful in any of these endeavors. Yeah. I, I wish that was a book. I, I literally just, <laughs> you know, I have a series yeah. of four books, guys. And the first book is just going to tell you how to fall in back in love with yourself. Yeah. Uh, the second book, we'll start talking about falling in love with food. Mm-hmm. And, and then we'll start talking about exercise and diet um, and sleep mm. and other stuff. <laughs> Because so many people want to skip to chapter three. What's the, what's the eating plan? What's the eating plan that's going to work for me um, in 21 days? And I'm like, no, spend, spend the first month, maybe even the first year, just saying, who am I and how can I fall back in love with who I am, who I was, and who I will be? You know, Because you can always look back and you can find things about yourself that you really, really are proud of that you did and were capable of doing. You can look at yourself today and find things that you're very proud of about who you are and who you've become. And then when you look ahead, as one of my clients said, she wants to be that little old lady that everybody's like, how does she keep going? You know, And, and so there's these, this way about looking at yourself with compassion and hope. Mm-hmm. And many of us lose, we, we don't have that hope. Mm-hmm. Our hope is sort of this uh, wish. It's not really the, with the word hope. You know, it's like, I, I, I wish I were thinner. I wish I could do these things. I wish my knees and ankles didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. We can, well, those are wishes. And a wish feels like you don't have control. Mm-hmm. Whereas hope is inside you. It's like, I have hope that I can get stronger. I have hope that I can rebuild my immune system. I have hope, you know, that, that I can take care of me and, and live a long, healthy life. And so I'm hopeful that I'll be that, I'm not me, but her, that little old lady that everybody's like, well, she just doesn't slow down, you know? So the first part is falling in love with yourself and, and, and full stop. That's the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Don't go to the second book until you finish this book. You know, you're going to miss the plot. You know, the big part of the plot starts in this first book of the series and you don't go to the second book of the series and start reading it um, because you haven't gotten the, the fundamentals. And then Absolutely. the same thing happens with food. How do you really feel about food? What are your, what are your limitations? What are, you, what are your capacities? What, how, how do you really feel and think about food? Mm-hmm. And she put in some great archetypes in the book for you to really just sit there and say, you know, am I erratic? Am I not really structured? Am I mm-hmm. someone who's dependent on food? I use it as a, as a crutch, you know, the, the ice cream, pint of ice cream at night to, to set myself up uh, right. for, for uh, you know, getting past the stress of the day. Or, you know, is it worse? You know, is it is a point where like I'm right on the edge of obsessive and maybe, maybe even struggling with an eating disorder. And so until you break those things down and say, okay, do I love myself? And then how do I feel about food and what's my relationship with food? And just realizing that it's nourishment, it's enjoyment, it's fuel, it's building materials. And, and all of those things. And it's information, it's information for your body. 
And so it's very important, just like you need to have self-compassion, you need to be compassionate with food and say, okay, what's going to nourish me? What's going to build me better? What's, what do I enjoy? But is the ways I can make it, you know, maybe you don't like Brussels sprouts. Tammy never liked Brussels sprouts until we found a way to cook Brussels sprouts that she actually likes them. It took her a while. Um, so just recognize that you take your time and you find that relationship. And honestly, the, that building the skill thing you talked about, that's mm -hmm. what this process is. But mm -hmm. so many people want to move on before they have the skills it's like walking out on the NFL football field and thinking, okay, I got a chance of not dying out here. Um, <laughs> that yeah. linebacker is going to lay you out because um, you don't have the skills. And not that you'll ever have the skills to be an NFL running back. But that said, if you are working on the skills to be the best you, then you will be. Yeah. But you got to get the skills first. And that is yep. that self-love, self-compassion having a great relationship with food, and then strategies and tactics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Just perfect. Be patient. It'll, you'll get there. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely take some patience um, because it's not a straight line. It's never a straight line. Never. Um, but every day you can take a breath is a day you can move in the right direction. So uh, you woke up, you're listening to this, you want this, take that first step. Just take a step today. Talk to yourself about love, compassion. How do you really feel? Mm -hmm. And then when you feel like you've gotten to a point where you're good with who you are and where you're going, then you start talking about your relationship with food. And, and through those two things, really, then the plan makes sense. Then her plan, I'm going to step in. Here's a plan. I'm going to stick with this plan. Mm -hmm. And when that plan works and then maybe it stops working, you still fall back on that self-love, the self-compassion relationship with food. And then you tweak and you pivot yeah. and you find the way. Um, right. So, you know, we talked in that episode about quitting and sometimes it quit is a good thing, but sometimes it's quit and pivot, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes just yeah. grind it out, just keep doing it. But until you get to a point where you're not blaming yourself Mm -hmm. You're not gorging on foods that you know you shouldn't eat just because you, you want to punish yourself in a sense. Right. Um, until you get past that kind of behavior, then you're not going to be able to pivot effectively. You're not going to be able to deal with a plateau. And those are going to set you back. And they're going to happen. It always happens. So recognizing that you have control over who you are in the future mm -hmm. um, and then starting that, that journey. Yep. Yep. All great information. What well, sounds like a great book. It is a good book. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Uh, but like I said, just read the first couple chapters, get to working on that, then go back to the book and, and worry about the plan. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, Rachel, I'll talk to you and everyone uh, next week. Great. Take care. You too. Thank you. Next time on the 40 plus fitness podcast, we bring back Dr. William Davis and discuss his new book, Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.